So hello and welcome to another episode of Drill to Detail, the podcast series about the world of big data and analytics, and I'm your host, Mark Ripman. So my guest this week is Wes McKinney, someone I knew of from his work on the Pandas Python Data Analysis Toolkit, and most recently for his work on the Apache Arrow in-memory storage format. So I'm very pleased to have Wes on the show today, and Wes, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so Wes, just tell us a bit about, I suppose, uh, what was your career uh, up until where you are now, and, and what was the work you did, introduce the work you did with kind of Pandas, and how you got into that, really? Well, I started my... I started my career in in 2007. I had a I had a math degree and um, I got a and I got a, a job working in um, quantitative finance at uh, uh, AQR Capital Management up in up in Greenwich, Connecticut. And um, it turned out that a lot of my a lot of my job was manipulating data and cleaning and preparing data and doing data analysis. Um, and so. I got interested very early on in data analysis tools to make, you know, primarily to make myself more productive so that I would enjoy my job more and would, would be able to get more, get more work done. Um, but I discovered, um, you know, at that, at that time that I was passionate for uh, tool making and building tools to enable other people to be, to be productive as well. Um, and, uh, you know, at that time I, this was, you know, late, this was 2007, 2008, there really was not a um, data community or a data analysis community in, in Python. There was a, a fairly robust uh, scientific computing community that was, um, you know, was just becoming mature and more more accepted at that time. But for statistical computing and data analysis, um, data science as a field did not exist at that at that time. Um, but uh, there really was not a very big community for Python. And so I felt there was uh, there was an opportunity there to make the um, to make the software stack more more amenable to people doing statistics and statistical computing, um, and that uh, that Python was a good language to build uh, those types of tools. So I I made a you know I, I guess in retrospect it was a fairly fairly risky bet given that it wasn't clear that that there was going to develop a, a large ecosystem of Python programmers, but. Uh, it seemed to me like the the right thing to do, um, and so I spent um, so I spent several years, um, you know, throughout you know the late late 2000s and early early 2010s, um, essentially working to make the Python ecosystem viable as a, as a tool for statistical computing uh, and data science. So that that included you know building the Pandas project and making that into a successful uh, open source project. Um, and writing my my book Python for for data analysis, which was published uh, five years ago this this fall. So so what led you to I suppose what led you to focus on Python? I guess you were using it through work, but what what particularly made you want to stick with Python rather than using R or something instead? Well, I was doing I was doing general exploratory data analysis and 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 data manipulation, but I was also building software. So I was building um, some small software uh, production software systems that needed to do some amount of data processing um, and, and, and data analysis, but that were uh, mostly about automating various um, business processes with a lot of um, different steps and things that could go wrong. And uh, so really, I, I needed a tool set that was functional both for doing production software engineering as well as exploratory, exploratory data analysis. And so in 2007, the conventional wisdom for doing software engineering was to use uh, was to use Java for everything, but I found that the I found that the Java stack was not 
uh, especially favorable for, for doing interactive and exploratory computing. And similarly, the, um, for, for data analysis, people used MATLAB and they used, uh, they were using, starting to use R at that time. R really wasn't very, as nearly as popular back then. Um, but these were languages that were not especially well suited uh, for software engineering. And so I, uh, I felt that Python was a good language for doing software engineering um, and had the, the right um, components for, um, ha had the right kind of user interface and the right tools to, to build productive data, data manipulation and, and data analysis tools. Um, but we, you know, there, were, there was no library like Pandas or, or uh, libraries that solved, you know, those kinds of problems. So, so that was the, so I was attracted to it because it seemed like a promising environment to build uh, kind of the, you know, the best of both worlds. Um, but it was certainly a chicken and egg problem because not only was there not uh, a community uh, of people dealing with, um, you know, statistical computing, um, there, there just weren't the libraries. So it was kind of both, we've got to build, in order to build a community, um, you know, I had to build software for the people to, to use because, um, you know, people are not going to, you know, use Python to solve those problems if there wasn't a viable tool set for them to start and, you know, be productive in their, in their work. Um, yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I came across Pandas actually only a, a few years ago. I was um, I was doing some work at home, just taking some data and, and manipulating it and trying to do some kind of uh, regression analysis and that sort of thing on it. And and that was my first introduction to Pandas. And I, I was blown away, actually, by how, how useful it was and, and how, I suppose, it, how it solved problems for me so well. Um, and that was even in the times of when R was, was popular. But may, maybe for people who don't know what Pandas was, just maybe trying to outline maybe in layman's terms, you know, what, what did that code do? And what did it give you kind of beyond what, say, Python can do uh, out of the box? Well, one of the, I mean, one of the, the biggest things that, that people use, use Pandas for, and, and, one, and I think one of the reasons why it's become so popular is that it makes getting access and, and getting, just getting access to data um, very easy. So whether that data is coming from, um, coming from CSV files, you know, basically comma-separated files, um, or, or other kinds of text files or data coming from databases uh, or spreadsheets, Excel files, uh, really any kind of tabular data. Um, you know, the first part of the data analysis process is to get access to data, and Pandas makes that very fast and convenient. Uh, it provides uh, containers for uh, dealing with data in memory. So when you load data from a file, you load data from a database, it provides uh, what's called a data frame object, which is essentially a table, or it could be thought of as like an in-memory spreadsheet, uh, which holds the, the data. Um, and on top of that, Pandas contains a large collection of um, functions and tools for manipulating um, tabular manipulating tabular data uh, or data having some kind of labeling or, or index. And so, um, so it's become very popular as a tool for dealing with Doing exploratory, you know, data analysis on uh, time series data, on you know, data coming from databases and CSV files. Um, it's used for data cleaning and data preparation for um, for modeling and statistics and machine learning. So essentially, it, it solves all of the you know what I call the unsexy um, part parts of, of data science. And people complain about or talk about how uh, data cleaning and data preparation can be you know 80 to 90 percent of the time that you spend doing data science. 
and Pandas is concerned with making that uh, data cleaning and data preparation as painless as possible for the uh, for the user. So you find that um, you know it, really anyone who's doing machine learning or data science in Python, um, for you know in, in in probably 80 or 90 percent of cases are using Pandas for data access in the initial kind of data data wrangling to get their data ready for for modeling. And I think I used it in combination with Spark as well. Actually, I think it was PySpark I was using it with. So, so even outside of just classic Python, it was it was useful as well, really. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, it gets used. Uh, yeah, I think uh, so. In the in the Pandas core team, we we talk about Pandas as being the um, the middleware that is uh, kind of gluing the ecosystem together. So it's the it's the point of contact between different components. It's used for for handling data in many different circumstances. So if you're using Spark. Um, data that's going going to Spark or coming from Spark, maybe in maybe in Pandas format. Mm, yeah, excellent. So that was quite a while ago, actually. Now, and you went on to you went on to. I mean, obviously Pandas is still going now, but you went on to form a company called Datapad. So what was that about then, really? So we formed uh, we formed uh, the, da the uh, Datapad uh, with um, so a lo long time colleague and, and collaborator of mine, um, Chang Shu. He uh, he and I worked together. At, at AQR, he's also um, a fellow MIT grad, and um, so I, I got him. You know, we we collaborated on pandas in in the early days. So he was, you know, one of the earliest uh, pandas contributors, um, and we we wanted to start a uh, an analytics company, and we we used the um, you know we intended to use the the Python you know the Python data stack. To build the backend systems for for the products that we uh, that, that that we were we were building, and we would contribute back and, and make the uh, make the open source better as we built uh, vertical products for for business business users. And so our initial product and what we spent uh, the majority of 2013 and 2014 building was a uh, cloud hosted um, uh, visual analytics product, uh, which could work well for. Uh, business intelligence use cases. Uh, it was designed to to be cloud um, cloud first and working well with with kind of the modern uh, kind of analytics environment where you have data spread across many different uh, sources and things things like Salesforce, um, you know, marketing automation products. Because um, you know, in in modern businesses, data is fragmented all over the place, and so we wanted to make it simple to collect all of that data. Uh, in a hosted environment that would make, um, you know, integrating that data together and then exploring and analyzing it and visualizing it. We, uh, and we, you know, we were building all that with, uh, you know, with the, the, you know, the Python stack under, uh, on, under the hood. Um, so okay. we, uh, yeah, so we, you know, we, we, uh, we had venture investors and we spent, uh, you know, we spent about two years, um, you know, working on, working on the company prior to being uh, acquired by Cloudera at the end of, uh, of 2014. Oh, right, so that that explains how you went to Cloudera then, because I remember I remember at the time um, reading that you'd gone there and the fact that you were involved in Pandas and you went there as well, and that was quite a big deal at the time. I mean, so, so your company was acquired by by uh, Cloudera. What did you What did you? Um, I suppose what was your kind of aim really in joining Cloudera, and and what were you? What was the Ibis project you're working on there as well? What was the kind of the idea there really? Well, so. The uh, I I'd known uh, I, I'd known the uh, you know Cloudera founders and, and many Cloudera employees for for a long time, so they were already already friends and and, and supporters of you know our, our open source work on on Pandas as well as uh, as well as Datapad, 
And I found that that as we were as we were building the building the Datapad product, that one of the um, one of the, the hardest things that we were dealing with was the um, well, there were, there were multiple hard things, but um, the back end uh, the back end systems. There were a lot of low level um, data management and in memory analytics um, problems that we were we were tackling, um, and that were you know basically the the open source stack. Um, did not provide the best the best foundation for building um, that type of a um, uh, that type of a product in the cloud, which needed to be able to um, have you know linear scalability and very low late, low latency uh, analytics, very fast uh, slicing and dicing. And you know even now when you look at people building these types of products, um, in many in in a lot of cases um, there really are not off the shelf. Um, off-the-shelf uh, open-source projects to pick up that can meet the kind of performance uh, and scalability requirements that um, that an interactive visual analytics application has, and you see a lot of custom software being built. Um, and so, for me, critically, one of the biggest issues was the performance and scalability of the uh, of the Python data stack. And I, uh, um, you know, by the end of 2013, having been working on Datapad for about a year, I'd accumulated a list of um, complaints and grievances about the internals, uh, the internal architecture, uh, this relationship with the rest of the Python uh, scientific computing and, and data science stack, um, and sort of famously gave a talk at the end of 2013 um, that was called 10 Things I Hate About Pandas. Um, and so, Really, I think I as much as as much as I was, you know, we were enjoying um, building, you know, building our company. Um, you know, I was very motivated about tackling some of these systems, kind of um, like architectural challenges that face the entire uh, data science world. Um, and I felt that um, you know, Cloudera provided you know with it with a, its team of uh, you know distributed systems engineers and people building you know databases. I was able to work with the Impala team and the and the Kudu team. Uh, and really, I wanted to to get um, to to be able to work more closely with uh, uh, individuals who had experience in um, distributed storage and in memory analytics to tackle some of these, um, you know, what I felt are you know really serious um, challenges for the future of uh, open source uh, open source data science uh, that we would build a better be able to you know start building a better platform for the for, for the future there. So, so I mean, Kudu. I mean, we I, yeah, we talked about Kudu on on, on the on the show kind of quite a while ago, actually, and, and and that to me struck me as very kind of interesting, revolutionary, and so on. And um, so, so what, what's your view on Kudu, really? I mean, is that still? I mean, I'm conscious that you've got Arrow. I'm conscious there's products like Druid out there as well. What's your take on Kudu, really, and and, and if that's relevant now or problem it solves and that sort of thing? Yeah. So, so, so Kudu. You know, for those who don't know, it's 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 Apache Apache Kudu. It's a um, project that was um, originally originally started at Cloudera and is now part of the Apache Software Foundation. It is a distributed um, it, it's, it is a distributed column store. So it is a system that stores uh, and manages data in a um, sort of fault tolerant um, and robust way. But is not a uh, does not have its own uh, query processing engine. So it's uh, um, so the idea is that uh, Kudu provides a storage, um, a scalable storage backend that is designed for fast um, analytical processing, uh, but also supports inserts and updates. So you can use it as a real time 
uh, place to capture real-time data, um, then you can do fast analytics on, on that data. And so the idea is that rather than, you know, traditionally, if you were building a, an analytic database, you would have a vertically integrated system of storage and query processing and query language. So usually, you know, if you looked at, you know, if you look at a traditional analytic SQL system, um, something like Vertica, say, uh, HP Vertica, the SQL, you know, the, the query language is SQL. Uh, it has its own storage system and its own uh, query engine. And so the idea of something like Kudu is that it decouples the storage and, and, and uh, uh, data management part of the problem from the query engine so that you can have many different kinds of query engines processing uh, uh, data that is being uh, delivered, by, uh, delivered by Kudu. So I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a, novel, a novel system and a very powerful, uh, a very powerful concept. And when I when I joined Cloudera at the end of 2014, uh, Kudu was still um, uh, in stealth, so to speak. It, it was not a, it was not publicly uh, available or known. And so I that was one of the things that really excited me um, about joining Cloudera was that I felt that there was you know really innovative work happening around um, in-memory analytics and distributed storage. And so to be able to work with you know Todd Lipcon and and the Kudu team and the Impala team. Um, you know, it seemed like a very, you know, fruitful um, kind of intellectual intellectual opportunity to get involved in um, some cutting edge, um, you know, distributed, uh, you know, big data technology. Yeah, it was Mike Percy that was on the on the show. Actually, I remember when he first came on, and, and it was certainly struck me as it com combined with combined with uh, Impala. Obviously, uh, it, it solved the problem about being able to do updates and inserts and so on. But it, it struck me as I think it was positioned at the time as being, um, you know, uh, the, I suppose the next thing on from HBase really. And it certainly struck me as being very kind of uh, useful. Do you think that? Do you think that kind of problems being? I suppose the problem it's solving there is being able to decouple the uh, storage from the query, make it distributed, and so on. Is that a problem? Do you think that is in people's minds these days? Do you think that having that decoupled query and and uh, and kind of compute and, and, and just and I suppose query and storage is that a problem on people's minds now, or is it kind of it's been surpassed really by say cloud and that sort of thing? Well, I think the the original the the, the original decoupling of of uh, storage and and query was uh, and so. You, know, you had the you had the Hadoop file system, you know, based on you know Google, you know, MapReduce, Paper, and so forth, and um, and so you know at the time when at the time when Kudu was created, the two primary storage systems for the Hadoop ecosystem were were HDFS, the Hadoop file system, um, and and HBase, and so what you know what would happen was that people were using HBase for real time data collection and serving, and uh, HDFS for long term storage and batch. And batch processing, and so if you had so if you had real time, so if you had real time data or data that was very rapidly changing, you would often have you know this you would you would build some kind of complicated uh, sort of marionette of a real time you know real time data capture with Kafka or or HBase and and HDFS, and if you wanted to make the data available. Uh, it could get quite quite complicated to manage um, the uh, the metadata around you know how to how to expose the right data sets to query engines like like Impala uh, to to process. So I think that in in large enterprise settings that the, these problems have been experienced uh, for a while and particularly around you know real time uh, you know real time or fast changing data 
um, I think the challenges of uh, um, of making that work at, at scale have been have been well known for a while. And I think that I mean I'm not I'm not an expert in the, in, in the latest and greatest uh, cloud offerings from. Different, I'm thinking about BigQuery and stuff like that. You know, where, yeah, know. but I, my, my understanding is that is that the public cloud providers have uh, have created solutions to to assist with uh, with this particular problem, um, or for people who are doing analytics in AWS or in, or in Google Cloud um, mm-hmm. that are solving problems in, in a similar way to that that Kudu is solving the problem, uh, but oriented at the, mm-hmm. Kudu is certainly oriented at the Hadoop ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so you then went on to work, to, or so I start and work on Apache Arrow. Um, so, so what is that then? What, what, what problem did that solve in the stack, and and how is that different from say Kudu and and say Parquet and so on? Right. Well, so when I uh, when I started up at um, when I started up at Cloudera at the end of at the end of 2014. Um, so first of all, you know, I had um, you know I had my my list of Complaints and grievances with with pandas as far as um, as far as interoperability with other systems, you know, basically dealing with close to the metal problems of data access and and data data movement. Um, and I, you know, at that point, I'd written many different, I'd written tons of different connectors from pandas to many other storage formats and uh, and data processing systems. So I'd experienced the pain of of the fragmentation and incompatibility or non. that I worked on at Cloudera was exploring if we could build a uh, uh, we could build Python um, user-defined functions uh, UDFs for for Impala and immediately was uh, and I was aware of Kudu as well and so I was interested um, in, in Kudu integration between uh, between Python you know integration between Python and Kudu and so I was in uh, one of the initial you know the first problems that I had to solve there was how to exchange um, memory between um, an analytical SQL engine like like Impala or a distributed column store like Kudu, and um, the Python data science environment, namely pandas and and so forth. Um, and so I very quickly um, and I had, and we had built a uh, we had built a an in memory um, distributed column store and and in query query engine for Datapad, uh, and that was one of our you know. Uh, Kind of biggest pieces of IP was was a you know uh, columnar query engine, and so I tried to synthesize the learning from building the Datapad query engine with what was going on with Kudu uh, and and Impala and uh, uh, and to to a certain extent at that time with, with Spark as well, um, and so I fe- I very quickly found myself uh, wanting a effectively a um, a, a middleware technology to. To be a standardized uh, format for exchanging uh, tabular data, uh, column-oriented data between um, these types of systems, between Spark and Python, uh, Impala, Kudu, uh, and really any system that deals with analytical data sets and, and data processing. Um, but uh, it's uh, it certainly, you know, to create a, a large open-source project and build a community um, is a very complicated, uh, very complicated thing. And so I set about, um, you know, starting in, at the end of 2014 and throughout 2015, uh, I set about finding allies to uh, essentially folks in other open source communities who had experienced similar kinds of problems 
uh, to try to see if this was a problem that other people were experiencing, you know, around data interoperability and in-memory in-memory in analytics. Um, and it, so it took, uh, you know, most of 2015 uh, to assemble uh, a collection of like-minded open-source developers to create the uh, to create the Apache Arrow project. Uh, we um, we encountered um, a, a group of developers. Um, led by you know Jacques Nadeau, who's now the he's the CEO and, and co-founder of Dremio, um, and they had wanted to they had wanted to spin um, the uh, kind of in-memory uh, columnar data structures out of the Apache Drill project into a standalone software component so that it could be more easily reused in other Java projects, um, and so this was summer 2015, and we you know we spent the the latter half of 2015. Um, basically working to, to get more people involved with um, the idea of something like Arrow existing and uh, to, to see if we could agree on the path forward in terms of the project design and the governance structure. Um, and so, you know, it took quite a bit of logistics to uh, put the project together. Uh, we decided to do it uh, within, you know, within the Apache Foundation to make, uh, to make, you know, make it easier for vendors to collaborate without concerns about governance um, and conflicts of interest. Um, but the, the idea was that what we wanted was a companion technology uh, that would work, be a, that would be a companion technology to columnar storage formats like Parquet uh, and Orc. be useful for runtime uh, format for data processing, so you would use it inside, you would use Arrow inside query engines as the place where you put data while it's being processed. Um, and could serve to as a tool for connecting systems together without any overhead. So we wanted to be able to share data between, say, Python and Impala, or Kudu and Python, without um, without losing any performance to conversions or serialization. But at the same time, this, yeah. But at the same time, this memory format would need to be suitable for as a primary runtime format for query processing. So it need to be kind of laid out in memory in a way that is that is efficient for for CPUs and GPUs and so forth. Yeah, I, mean, I, remember, re I remember reading about it at the time and, and thinking it was very impressive. I mean, so it's I suppose Apache Arrow is a component that you'd find in other pieces of software. It's not something that has a front end to itself and so on. I mean, that's that's a very altruistic thing for you to do to kind of put all this time into building something that's effectively like an interchange format and a memory format. I mean, what what motivates you to do that really? I mean, rather than just work for someone and release it as commercial or, or do something else really? Well, it's I mean, I think the 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 idea of Creating um, standardized open source open source technology. Um, I mean, it is it, it is altruistic in a way, but I think the I mean the main the main motivation is to make things um, to make things simpler uh, for for data system developers. So right now the status quo is that when you build a query engine or a data processing system, that you need to define data structures runtime data structures where you put, so when you read data out of a Parquet file or you read data from Kudu or you read data from a SQL database, you have to place that data someplace in memory. And so what systems traditionally would do is they would define their own proprietary data structures to hold the data in memory while it's being processed. And so whenever you want to move that data from one runtime to another, you have to convert between two incompatible runtime formats, which incurs a conversion and copying penalty. And so 
so there's 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 multiple sources of efficiency in creating the creating the arrow in memory format. So the first is that as data so as system engineers building data processing systems, that rather than having to go through the effort of designing and uh, and and building your own proprietary data structures, the arrow technology will be sitting on the shelf and available to use as a runtime um, data format. So you won't have to design your own uh, in-memory data format. Uh, additionally, if two systems are using Arrow, then they can be composed and plugged together uh, without uh, without any overhead. And so that will give rise, and I believe in the long run, that will give rise to much more um, systems that are a lot more heterogeneous. They could be heterogeneous in programming languages. So you could see systems that are that have code that is written in Java as well as C um, or C++. And so by eliminating that, that barrier around uh, data access and data movement will give rise to, I think, much more interesting software uh, in the future and free up um, you know, system engineers to work on um, problems that are further, further up the stack around just computation, cogeneration, um, you know, parallelization, and, and so forth. Um, and so I found that, you know, I found over the years that you know, I've spent you know, and as huge, just a huge amount of time uh, writing data converters and data connectors, um, and dealing with just like data access and and serialization. And so, to make that problem go away, I think will be a big will be a major boon uh, for the future as we we're, we're freed up to kind of work on higher level concerns rather than more mundane details of you know of getting access to data taking something that's your own kind of toolkit um, and then making it into something other people can use and then make it into an open source project that takes quite a lot of work really and I suppose what's what I suppose what are the extra steps to make it usable by somebody else and the other question really is what's involved in making a project an Apache project right yeah well the, the difference between software that you build for your own your own use or, or use in an internal project versus um, uh, you know a generally available open source project is a huge you know, it's, it's a pretty huge uh, delta. Uh, right, right. So you have to, um, you know, cer and certainly Apache projects function based on, um, you know, open and transparent development process and, and consensus. And so, um, you know, it is, it is much easier in some ways to be able to make um, unilateral uh, design decisions and also to um, to not have to concern yourself with um, architectures and uh, deployment environments that don't concern you. So, for example, I am not actively a, a I'm not actively a Windows user, um, but this software does get used on uh, Windows environments, and so we have to spend a lot of time building the Apache Arrow project and dealing with Windows uh, compatibility. And deployment on multi on like essentially all of the major platforms in different Linux distributions, different versions of Xcode on Mac OS, uh, different different versions of Microsoft Visual Studio. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, I think the development environment maintaining a productive development environment becomes a lot more important. So having good developer documentation is essential if you want to attract developers and contributors to the project. You have to have developer documentation. You have to have a lot more user documentation than you would for a purely internal uh, software project. Um, so with the with the Apache Foundation, 
um, there is more work still as far as open source projects go um, in that uh, we very carefully uh, track um, IP that is contributed to the project to make sure that that uh, that the that software is appropriately licensed. Um, that uh, when users contribute code, that they have uh, distribution rights to that code, and they are not, you know, copy and pasting code from Stack Overflow or uh, from projects which may have incompatible licenses. Um, and so this does come up occasionally that you know you'll see a code snippet, and it may come from may have come from uh, a, a source of unknown uh, of unknown origin. And so. I think uh, I see the you know uh, the mark of um, you know Apache uh, a project release from an Apache project as being uh, sort of a you know kind of a gold label for for open source and that the IP has been uh, very strongly vetted by the community everything is appropriately licensed and uh, and documented um, the origin of the origin of the code um, so that companies can use Apache projects in a commercial setting. Uh, without nearly as much uh, fear of having um, IP, IP contamination. And so the idea is that when you see something that's Apache licensed that's, that, or that's part of an Apache project, there's certainly the distinction between being an, Apache, being an Apache project and being Apache licensed are not the same thing. Um, the Apache process is much more, uh, is much more uh, um, there's a lot more um, hoops to jump through to, to get software released as an Apache project, but the commercial kind of uh, sort of the broader open source community and particularly commercial users um, benefit um, from that careful um, oversight of, of IP and, uh, and and licensing. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I suppose the other thing is there's quite a few Apache projects out there, even I suppose within this kind of space. And I, the other reason I, I, I thought to contact you was I saw the, the blog post by Daniel Abadi saying about Orc and Parquet and, and actually kind of in his blog post asking whether there was a point in having Arrow as a third column store Apache project. I mean, what, what was your view on, on, maybe just recap on what that blog post was, and what was your view on that and this idea that, that there would be maybe kind of Apache Arrow was a little bit superfluous? What's your sort of take on that? Right. So, uh, so the, yeah, so the, uh, so the article that you're referring to, um, Daniel Labadi is a, is a uh, professor of computer science at, uh, at Yale University. Um, he's, he's well known in the, uh, analytic database world as he created a, uh, co-created a technology called C store, um, which, uh, which formed, um, formed the basis for, uh, the Vertica, um, analytic, uh, an, you know, analytic columnar SQL engine. And so he's a, he's a well-known figure in this, uh, in this community. Um, and he wrote an article last month in October, um, about, uh, about, Arrow as as a uh, as a storage um, as a column store for a data for database systems, and so he so he looked at the project through a very in my opinion a quite a quite narrow um, and not a not unreasonable lens but a, but a fairly narrow narrow lens of thinking about Arrow as it relates to the runtime of an analytic database because um, traditionally you know systems will um, store data on um, database systems will store data on disk. If it's a columnar database, then it will store data in something like uh, the Parquet format, which is which was so Parquet for, for background was is uh, designed based on um, Column IO, which is a Google technology that's part of Dremel, which is a widely used uh, analytic database technology at Google. So uh, so Parquet is kind of like open source Column IO. 
And so essentially, so 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 uh, Professor Abadi's blog post was about uh, whether a an in-memory um, analytic uh, analytic database runtime should have uh, need, needs a different uh, or needs different design decisions in its storage format from an on-disk one. So essentially, does what does Arrow bring to the table compared with an on-disk on uh, columnar storage uh, technology? So he did conclude at the end of the article, and I won't, you know, I'll, I'll leave the reader to, to read the article and um, kind of make, make their own conclusions. But he did conclude that that an in-memory um, analytic database system um, would benefit benefits from different decisions from one that is on disk. Um, that you know the characteristics of uh, RAM versus disk uh, will lead to different design decisions. Um, but uh, but I think. Uh, yeah, so I, I wrote a, a follow-up blog post to respond to the to the article because um, I mean I think Arrow is interesting strictly from the point of view of analytic databases, but um, really uh, database systems is only one possible application uh, of Arrow. So um, I think in his article um, there was really no mention of the you know the data science world and problems that uh, problems that are solved around. Uh, system interoperability and data interchange, um, particularly zero copy um, data interchange between systems. So if you just strictly look at Arrow from the perspective of you're building an analytic database, you don't really care about sending and receiving data uh, between other systems. Uh, so it was a, it was a, a, a pretty narrow analysis, uh, not an invalid one, but um, there's plenty of other reasons for, for the Arrow project uh, to exist. Um, I think uh, I'm glad that he wrote the article because I think that it, it's uh, instigated a fruitful uh, discussion about the different use cases for, for Arrow um, and gotten more people thinking about the, the problem space. So I think it's been, uh, it's, it, you know, the last month or six weeks has been pretty interesting. Excellent, excellent. That's good, isn't it? So, um, so, so, what's the kind of, I suppose, what's the roadmap for Arrow, and where do you, where do you see it going, and what, what problems do you see it solving, or what problems do you want to solve, maybe going into the future, uh, really? Right. Well, so I, 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 you know, the reason I got involved in in Arrow in the first place, you know, as as we were talking about earlier, um, you know, earlier in the interview, was that uh, my motivation was to build an to have a an efficient bridge between the data science world and the distributed storage and analytic database world, um, and so we've spent uh, most of the last two years working on um, hardening the details of the the Arrow format specification, um, the Arrow metadata, um, like dealing with data types and what constitutes a timestamp and what kinds of dates and times and different, uh, what, you know, what is a decimal, all the different data types that are supported, supported in Arrow. So now that we've, we've uh, reasonably stabilized uh, the Arrow format, um, now we need to go and build uh, different data processing systems which natively, um, natively deal in, in Arrow data so that Arrow isn't strictly being used for data interchange uh, so you can use Arrow with Pandas right now, but Pandas has its own um, proprietary, quote-unquote, proprietary um, in-memory format. And so in the context of, you know, back on my, my talk in 2013 about the 10 things I hate about Pandas, you know, really, for me, Arrow has been, has been built to be a, a better um, long-term in-memory format for uh, data processing in systems like Pandas. And so the future for is for what I'm going to be spending my time doing 
is building um, a, a new and much higher performance um, in-memory data processing engine to be the kind of future backbone of, of pandas that people can use for um, you know, people can use for many years into the future. And I've you know I've given a number of talks um, this, this year uh, about this topic that I'm quite interested. Um, I'm very interested in building um, native in-memory data processing for Arrow in a way that can be used not just for pandas and for Python users, but it can be used more broadly across the, the entire open source data science world. So I would like to build these libraries in a way that they can be used in R or it could be used in Julia uh, or it could even be used in, in Java. Um, and by virtue of systems adopting and using Arrow, they will be able to use um, so if we have a, a native Arrow-based uh, data processing engine which is used in Python, that same code can be shared uh, in different, uh, different programming languages. And so, so I think my, my long-term vision and what I would like to see is a great deal more collaboration happening uh, amongst different programming communities who are doing uh, data science and in-memory analytics. Uh, traditionally, there has not been a great deal of collaboration in these communities, and you see um, you know, people from the R community and the Python community do talk, but very rarely do they collaborate on software projects. So to kind of socialize this idea, I got together with Hadley Wickham uh, from the R community last, uh, last year, and we used uh, the Arrow technology to build a small file format called Feather. Um, and the idea is that it's a, a way to store, it uses the Arrow format to store data frames on disk, and you can read and write them uh, interoperably from R and Python. And so it was kind of one of the, you know, only examples of a real uh, genuine software collaboration between the R and, and Python communities where there was actual, like, a library of C code that is shared between an R project and a Python project. And I, I really see this as a model for the future so that we don't have, you know, everyone in the R community building their own custom implementations of everything and everyone in the Python community building their own custom implementations of everything, that we're able to create some shared, what I, what I describe as shared infrastructure for data science. Um, and that will enable us to essentially um, to build software that is you know, curated and improved by a much larger community of developers. Uh, it'll be much higher performance. It will have much better memory use, uh, much more scalable and performant. And as one community contributes uh, so as, you know, the community contributes more to the shared ecosystem of analytical tools, um, the entire uh, data science world will benefit. And so I, I hope that we see, you know, in the future that work happening in the R community will benefit the Python community and, and vice versa. Yeah, and so as more, as, as more, as more programming languages come to the, uh, you know, come to the fold and, and develop uh, communities of data scientists that we will be able to share uh, technology and uh, you know, kind of the rising tide will will lift all boats, so to speak. Um, and one really interesting thing that's been happening since we started Apache Arrow um, is that there is a community of Ruby developers who are um, building bindings uh, for the Arrow libraries and creating um, modern data science tools uh, for Ruby. Um, so some of them are in in Japan. Um, there's a developer, uh, Kohei Suto, who's uh, on the PMC for Arrow. Uh, he's been leading a project called Red Data Tools, um, which is uh, based on uh, based on uh, Apache Arrow and is uh, with the intent of building a richer data science stack for Ruby. 
So that the fact that we have the Python community, you know, people like me collaborating with the Ruby community on data science tools, I think is really exciting. And I think that we'll see more of that uh, going into the future. Okay, fantastic. So, so where's just to finish up then really, where would people find out about uh, Apache Arrow? Uh, you know, what, where, where on the web? And, and also, are you speaking at any events in the near future? Well, there's the, uh, there's the Arrow website, which is arrow.apache.org. Um, and uh, certainly following me on following me on Twitter is always, because uh, I generally uh, will tweet out about you know, things that are uh, related to related to arrow or in this general um, in this general domain um, I uh, I do not have any uh, I do not have any talks planned um, at the moment but uh, I usually I do announce them when they uh, when they happen on my on my website uh, on westmckinney.com you can find um, prior talks that I've given slide decks and, and videos and so forth that go into some more um, more detail and perhaps uh, slightly more articulate um, presenting this the, you know the material that we've been discussing discussing here about how um, essentially how the, the you know the vision around kind of interoperable uh, and standardized uh, in-memory data processing technology is important to the you know to the to the data science data science world um, there's there's a there's also a, there's a Twitter handle for for arrow it's at Apache arrow and uh, we also, you know, we'll um, we will tweet about you know other talks that have been given by members of the community. Um, but right now, we're you know we're focused on uh, growing the developer community and building integrations, arrow integrations, and in different uh, uh, different systems, and and uh, just building more collaborations with different communities that would benefit from from invo being involved. Fantastic. Well, Wes, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the show, and uh, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, take care. Yeah, thank, thank you.